It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on TogiNet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author. And not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. And now here's your host, Lou Boopadget. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for being with me today. Today I have a treat for both you and for me. Because this is the type of interview that I love to do. It's like getting all the new information and the trends and the ideas. So my guest today is Dr. Hernando Chavez, who is both an MFT, marriage family therapist, and a doctorate in human sexuality. He is a he practices here in Los Angeles and we've known each other for probably about five years and I love the way he approaches both his practice and his students. And, Hernando, I believe you are on with me right now. Hi, Lou. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you, my dear. So first thing I would like you to do, I'm I'm sure you probably got my handy-dandy little questions. (laughs) I did. I did. And if you can just start with the first one, which is, and who were your mentors on this? Well, you know, I, I began as a therapist and uh, found that there were certain aspects of therapy that really drew my attention, and, and, and I found them to be my calling, and that was re- the relational and the sexual pieces that would come up in therapy. Um, mm-hmm. I found that the, the more I worked with couples and, and individuals and clients who had either relational or sexual concerns or difficulties, the more I realized that not only did they have a lot of information that they were lacking, but I also had a lot of information that I was lacking. Uh, I noticed that on both ends there was a need for all of us to be more, have a higher sexual IQ in that, in that uh, clinical room. Um, so mm-hmm. I went back to school, got a doctorate in human sexuality, and also went into education to begin teaching sexuality, uh, also volunteering with organizations, and really just trying to increase my sexual knowledge so that I can help pass that along to the people who, you know, I think we all are, are in a sense, victims of a lack of sexual knowledge, especially in our, uh, you know, American culture. And I think it's partly our job because our schools, our parents, our governments are not necessarily educating us on sex and relationships. So we have to find that information out for ourselves, unfortunately. Well, and isn't that the truth? I mean, what's our, our, one of our mantras, we know people are going to learn about sexuality. The question is from whom and how? Exactly. And, and when, and for me, I mean, the reason I went in was exactly the same reason. I knew there wasn't enough information that I wanted, and it literally turned into something that I never expected. But I must say, every day, what I, I love what I do. <laughs> I mean, I, how, t- yeah. it, how tough is it to give people information that makes them feel good about themselves? 
It is. It is. And, and the more we learn, I think the more we realize how how much how much vast kind of ex, uh, expansive areas of, of sexuality information there are, are still to learn. There are still uncovered. Uh, it's so huge, and I say that to people all the time. I said you can't possibly know this entire area, and you know the education part of it is something that those of us in the field we often get stymied or stalled on being able to give what is the practical information because people think if people are going to know about this, they're going to go off, particularly kids and adolescents, willy-nilly and do things. Well, we know people are going to be sexual. We want to give them, we teach them to drive a car. We teach them to work with money. We teach them how to run a computer. But their bodies, which is the essence of who they are, we somehow overlook letting them know how that works. Mm-hmm. We humans, we're, 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 we're a scary group, aren't we? <laughs> we are, we are. And I think that that's one of those fearful areas for us to touch upon because there's the taboo notions of touch and relationships and sex. And, uh, you know, and then we have the fear-based aspects like STIs or unplanned pregnancy or abortion. And so there's so much that I think is stirred up within us that for a lot of us, they choose not to look at that and not to address it because of the unfamiliarity and the fear base. Well, and we know that if you give people fear, that's a constant diet of what they feed on. And you and I are not about that. We so. try to debunk that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because I know on your on your website, drhernandochavez.com, I mean, you literally state that, you know, you want to, you know, focus on sexual expression, on all of the things that are things that most people would probably go, oh, I didn't even know people would talk about that. Mm-hmm. And so can I, because, so for my listening audience, Dr. Chavez is, teaches at um, a college level, also has his private practice in Beverly Hills. So when I ask these questions, I'm going to be asking it from, you know, because he gets to ride two different horses in this field. So when we first started talking, I asked, what are the trends that you see in sex education and therapy? So what needs to be kept, what needs to be repurposed, and what needs to get the delete button? Sure. Um, you know, I'll start off with therapy. Um, what I've noticed with therapy is that we start off, um, people are very uh, uh, focused on specific theoretical orientation. And what I've seen us do is move into more of an integration of taking some different orientations, whether it's uh, psychodynamic and Freudian and more defense mechanism and internal focus work to maybe incorporating narrative therapy, which is more of a postmodern perspective where we rewrite our own stories and start challenging the scripts and the narratives that culture and society and social constructs have essentially written for us that we, we try to, uh, uh, we're conditioned to follow. And so mm-hmm. it's wonderful for us to be able to have this integration, which and I find this in the educational field, too, as well, where um, people are no longer kind of stuck in a more of a rigid path. They are now opening up to, I think, really what works more on, on, a, on a more holistic, medical, educational, psychological, uh, emotional level, rather than kind of staying in, in sort of certain areas of a belief system, which can be limiting and narrow. Right. So it's like mind-body-soul combination. Right, right. And I find, too, in therapy, that people are, are much more open to, especially in sex therapy, to incorporating things that are a little more outside the box than what we had traditionally you know, perceived as, as therapeutic, getting mm-hmm. beyond, let's say, working with the mind, um, now doing things like uh, somatic work, breathing exercises, sensate focus work. Um, you know, people would do, also do experiential homework assignments. People incorporate 
surrogate partners um, and sex mm-hmm. body workers into their, their their work as well. So there's there's really a movement to I think work with clients on a, on a multifaceted level that is beyond simply their you know, changing attitudes and, and their mindset. Right. And I mean, when we have had our LASA luncheons, um, Los Angeles Area Sexological Association lunches, and that you know you organize, you know, the, all of us getting together. That, for me, is because most of us who are therapists and educators, we tend to sort of be like lone wolves mm-hmm. who, are, who are by ourselves a lot. But to hear the other modalities that others have found, that they've been trained in and that they have found have worked, can you just explain for people quickly the difference between sexological body work and surrogates? Because I know you sure. have worked with surrogates, and so I know many times... You know how we know they hear that one word and they go, well, that means that. <laughs> but right. they may not know right. that it means something completely different. Right. Sure. Um, you know, uh, to start off, the difference between the two, I mean, they, they, they have similarities in that they're working under an experiential umbrella. So they're working with clients to help them experience, to help them overcome or achieve either anxiety reduction uh, or to work through some of, the, their, some of their own sexual hangups or obstacles. Um, you'll find that sex body workers, often work in a much shorter modality, so it might be anywhere from two to five or four to six sessions, whereas mm-hmm. uh, uh, surrogates typically work for a couple of months, two to four months, um, typically. And oftentimes you'll find that the the uh, types of, of concerns that they're working with um, vary and differ. For a lot of people who, who are benefit from sex body work, um, there are, those are people that are oftentimes touch-deprived, that sure uh, working with surrogates don't have some of those similar uh, uh, aspects as well, but you'll find that they also might have more deep-rooted, whether it's relationship breakups, whether it's previous trauma, um, you'll find that it, it, there's a, 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 a need for more of a, a supportive um, component in regards to experiential and, and therapeutic work with those clients. Um, mm-hmm. I'll find that they, you know, there's something that therapists cannot do. And there, there's an experiential component that it's very difficult for us on a talk therapy perspective to be able to challenge because there's only so much we can do when we're conceptualizing or doing imagery work or talking about versus mm-hmm. doing them. Yeah, because uh, this is the talk rather than the physical. And not many people have a, a space to do the, the physical or the experiential where there's safety and there's boundaries and there's a professional who you can talk with mm-hmm. and, and process through some of those anxieties. You know, when we're out in the dating field, um, if we have a performance anxiety, whether, whether it's an erection concern or an early ejaculation or maybe a preordained orgasmia or a vaginismus, in, in a sense, in these kind of real-life dating situations, it's very helpful to be able to work through them with professionals first. Mm-hmm. And to know, first off, what's happening to you. You're not alone. It has mm-hmm. happened to other people, and there are people who have been trained to help you get through this or to help you address it or to help you understand it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have one minute until our first break. My guest today is Dr. Hernando Chavez. You can find him at Dr. Hernando, H-E-R-N-A-N-D-O, Chavez, C-H-A-V-E-S, no spaces there, dot com. And you can also find some of his articles on askmen.com because he is a contributor there. When we come back, I just want to let you know, we have covered exactly one question on my list of 13. <laughs> because he has so much information, and I want to get into what's happening in the college campuses right now, 
what is, you know, what's changed since you started doing this, and in classrooms. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Padgett. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Do you feel like when you watch a cooking show or read a food magazine that the recipes are not practical for a busy family? Do you wish you could have a conversation with someone about the best way to get dinner on the table fast after a long day at work? Are you tired of cooking dinner only to have your family turn up their nose and all of your hard work? Do you want to hear more about healthy living and finding more time to find your passion in life? We'll pull up a chair and visit with Heather Tallman, host of Around the Kitchen Sink. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. here on Tugginet Radio. Like many women, finding balance in life and time to take care of yourself is hard to do. Between managing a career and marriage and children and a busy family schedule, it's hard to maintain a sense of self. And Heather shares how she does it. Check out Heather's website, basilmama.com. Join us for food and a whole lot more on Around the Kitchen Sink with your host, Heather Tallman. Thursday nights at 10 p.m. Central on Togginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Before the break, I said that Dr. Hernando Chavez and I uh, will be talking about the trends in college sex ed classes. So, Hernando, how long have you been teaching? And it's it's down, is it in um, Manhattan Beach area? Where is it? South of Los Angeles. Um, it's in Newport mm-hmm. Beach called Orange Coast College. Right. And how long have you been teaching there? Uh, I've been teaching there since 2005. Um, so I'm working on nine years. I've also taught a few other different institutions uh, for maybe a semester or two. But that's been my long-term Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've come down and I've, you know, you've invited me to present to your class. What has changed since you started? And what are the best things that, um, you know, you, as again, going back to that thing of what needs to be kept, what needs to be repurposed, and what needs to be deleted? Well, what I've noticed is that there is a resurgence in taking risks in sex education, especially in the college and university levels. Um, You know, for decades, what I noticed was a a very strict model of more physiological medical information, maybe STI information, uh, contraception information, and that's, you know, very kind of a safe area of sex ed. And what I'm noticing, especially in the last five, six, seven years, is um, an inclusion of what we call more comprehensive plus sex education. And mm-hmm. I now hear, when I speak with teachers, we talk about how we have now, uh, uh, let's say, uh, speakers come into our class to talk about various different aspects of sexuality. And, and a lot of uh, human sexuality topics are now being introduced that are much more varied, like 
pleasure and instructional information, uh, sex mm-hmm. worker rights and acceptance, uh, transgender understanding and, and gender identity diversity, uh, sexual orientation diversity, um, non-monogamy and polyamory and open relationships, um, mm-hmm. sexual identity and sex and disability awareness. So what I notice is, is this openness to what really, what is true, which is, you know, the one constant we have in human sexuality is diversity. And we're finally starting to scratch the surface on doing that in the classrooms. Mm-hmm. Because um, to me, what this really does, when you talk about Comprehensive Plus, it really is reflective of the questions that they are asking. Yes. And, you know, people know that, you know, there's a risk factor with sexuality. They've had that drummed into them from the very beginning. They know about condoms, typically. But, you you know, this Comprehensive Plus, I applaud their... Um, for those who are taking that risk, because really you're going to send people out into the world to do and have a job and then to try and be in relationships, and they're hamstrung because they're not being given what is the pleasure information or the relational information they're looking right. for. You know, and I think we did a uh, we sort of shot ourselves in the foot from a, from a sex positive perspective by naming it sex education because I think that word sex can really um, I think create an erotophobic reaction for, for people, especially conservatives. You know, if we would have called it relationship education and had sex be one of the components of this relationship, then because whether it's relationship with ourselves through masturbation or relationship with a partner or loved one or relationship with society and community, uh, you know, sex is a part of actually what we're looking at. We're looking at how the world and how ourselves interact in that relationship that includes sexuality. Well, and, and how can we not have it be part of what our world is? Exactly. <laughs> it's where, I mean, it's where we come from. <laughs> we wouldn't be here. <laughs> exactly. So that, I, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. And I know you bring in, you know, speakers on a regular basis to, you know, add more. What are, you, what are the things that do need to be addressed that are currently happening? And the reason I'm asking this is because of the impact of medications. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so, so that sounds to me a bit more to focus on, on uh, sexual concerns and also how it's affecting our bodies. Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of students, I mean, the, the 18 to 22-year-old demographic, which is most community college students, uh, you'll find a lot of, at least what I'm seeing with, with the males, there's a lot of erection concerns. A lot of mm-hmm. early ejaculation and a lot of libido fluctuations. Um, these are mm-hmm. associated not only with anxiety but also with medications that people have been taking. And we we are well aware of the open med- medication um, aspect of our country, the over prescription of, of of meds. So I'm seeing a lot of that, and, and I'm also on on a, a separate note which contributes as well. Is uh, I also see this narrowing of arousal with people relying on erotica and pornography as their sole not only sex education, but also one of their sole areas or aspects of arousal, which really impacts the idea of when we move away from that two-dimensional screen that always has the exact image that we want and we know we can work our way to the exact moment of, of our highest peak of arousal, when we get to real relationships, um, anxiety increases, typically arousal fluctuates, um, they may not experience the same highs. So I think we're also doing a disservice to us by not doing more of a job of of bearing our erotica, but at the same time understanding the, the meaning of it. Because that I'm, I'm also hearing the same thing from 
other people in our field spoken of, and I'm speaking of uh, Dr. Stuart Shipko, who mm-hmm. has male um, recent grads who will come to him who have been on um, uh, Adderall, you know, throughout right, right. all of college, and they are saying that, you know, they've been told to go to him to have things, you know, to get another script. And he's like, look, you know, I this is not what I'm here for, you know. They, and yet, there's also those who, when they're trying to go off it, there's if they've been on it for too long, Dr. Shipko's comment was, I won't even touch them. Because this is supposed to be a short-term, not a long-term thing. So the drug impacts I'm seeing more of. Now, are there things that you would like to bring in that you haven't been able to yet? Uh, in, in regards to education? Right. Well, you know, I, I feel like I go about as far as I'm comfortable with. I, I, I don't think some instructors who have introduced live imagery or, you know, there's a, a professor, a Professor Bailey, who in Northwestern University introduced like a, a live show during or at the end of one of his classes. To me, I right. feel like that's a little too much in regards to the idea that we're, we're here to sort of undo some of the conditioned sort of exposure of, of erotophobia and lack of sex ed. Um, you know, if they want to experience that, I want them to go seek that out in the community and find, you know, safely they can do that safely. But uh, I just find, like, I don't think it's our job necessarily to, to have to push them so far that's beyond their boundaries. I just want them to be able to look in and challenge themselves with the idea that there's stuff beyond their boundaries. Mm-hmm. I, so, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the Bailey thing, and it wasn't mm-hmm. exactly handled well, <laughs> as right. we might say. Uh do you, when, I mean, you give them out an outline at the very beginning of the class in the same way you would probably, when you do an intake with someone who is coming in for therapy, mm-hmm. the pattern of what? Yes. If you are, when you are working with them, do you have any idea typically how long that, let's say, someone in therapy might be needing sessions for? Yeah, that's a difficult question to answer, and people ask that um, you know, because there's time and financial aspects that are associated with their treatment that they, they want to know about. And what mm-hmm. I tell people is that everybody varies. Everyone's different. For some people, it's, you know, depending on what other therapeutic uh, concerns or issues or historical aspects come up in, in session, you know, it may or may impact. Um, like, for example, I was working with a client who came in for premature or early ejaculation and then contracted an STI in the midst of our sessions, and so that shifted in our focus because the more present anxiety issues was experiencing was this, you know, coping with an FPI, and we sort of mm-hmm. put the PE treatment on, you know, a little bit on the back burner to work on those concerns, and so things come up. Um, typically with sex therapy, you know, the research shows that it could be anywhere from 8 to 14 sessions, um, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less, depending on each concern. Um, some sex therapy can be very quick. Uh, for example, if, if a person comes in and they just need to feel normalized or feel accepted or, or to have some education or resources, so a session or two is what they need to kind of put them in the direction for them to discover some of their own sexual pleasure on their own. Mm-hmm. No question. I, and sometimes it's one statement that you make that has them go, oh, really? Mm-hmm. And I I had that experience uh, this past week. I was on a train with my twin sister going across Canada, and 
we were sitting in the car where you have breakfast, and these two gentlemen, I didn't say anything about what I was doing, and they said, so what do you do? And I said, I'm an author and speaker, and they said, on what subject? And she very happily, you know, volunteered, sex. <laughs> and they then, they then said, wow, breakfast is going to get a whole lot better. And one of the gentlemen, and these are both married gentlemen with children, and they both had always wanted to go across the country on a train and from, you know, an area in Connecticut. And one of them was the the conversation, I just said, you know, many times men will think that if they have an area of their body stimulated and there's a form of arousal, but it's not erotic for them at the time, they think, oh, dear, you know, I must be secretly gay. And, and what I'm referring mm-hmm. to specifically is when men are having a prostate exam. And, you know, there's the joke about the snapping glove and, you know, bent over a table and it's hardly erotic. But the nerves on the lateral side of the prostate, what most men don't know is those are the nerves that are responsible for giving you an erection. And when they're stimulated and you have good nerves, you are going to get an erection. It's not because you're secretly gay. And he leaned back in his chair and he went, oh, my God, that has plagued me for five years. And he never told anybody. And yeah. And, and, that, and think about that that amount of information you gave him, how helpful that was to solidifying that identity confusion that he was struggling with. Mm-hmm. And because I know that, and the reason I said it is that when I do my lady seminar, my gentleman seminar, that is one of the things that I watch men's faces change so dramatically when I say it. Uh-huh. Because, I mean... Here we go. We're coming to our break, talking about things. Dr. Hernando Chavez is my guest. We will be right back. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Get ready for Wise Up Radio, leveraging your learning, leadership, and legacy with Donna Kimbrand, the edgy evolutionary, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you're an entrepreneurial leader or visionary, stay ahead of your game with insights, tools, and strategies that give you the thought leader's edge. Each week, join Donna and her guests as she'll ask the edgy questions, help you discover game-changing shortcuts to better thinking and learning, how to explore the ripple effects of leadership excellence and how to create your life as a living legacy where the legacy you leave is the life you live as thought leaders you need strategies to help you enjoy the confidence and thrill of riding the wave of rapid change for more on donna check out her website gamechangerthinking.com then join the conversation and sharpen up your wits on wise up radio with donna kimbrand tuesdays at 1 p.m eastern here here on rockstar radio network are you stuck in a rut, wondering if there's more than a 9 to 5? Do you ever yell out, is this all there is? Then join Alaska Coach Keith's radio show, where we'll focus on transition, career revitalization, and freedom. 
Keith will discuss tips and tricks for developing and living to our highest potential. It's time we dusted off our dreams and became alive with purpose. Keith will share lessons he's learned from a 20-year study of career engagement, motivation, and personal leadership. He'll interview experts and authors who know both struggle and triumph. You may even get a chance to bring your biggest challenge to the radio for an on-the-spot coaching with Keith. Join Alaska Coach Keith each week. Conceive. Believe. Achieve. Heard every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central right here. to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Thank you for being with us. And, as I said, um, Dr. Hernando Chavez is my guest, and during the break, we made the educated decision that given that we had spoken of the, the physical issues that most men are not aware of, that the nerves on the sides, the lateral sides of the prostate, are the nerves that are responsible for stimulating the blood flow into the penis, which is why there's nerve-sparing surgery during a prostatectomy. So let's then go, Hernando, because you also have done presentations at numerous peer organizations along with Dr. Winston Wilde on circumcision. How important it is to be educated as a parent um, should you want to do this or not want to do this. So, because there's studies that everyone keeps referring to that literally have been refuted that say you should be circumcising. Right, right. And, and that's unfortunate that we, we, we live in a time where we can't update our research to where educators are on the cutting edge and, and challenging maybe some of the medical, the past medical information that was either shown to be inaccurate or at least shown to be disproven. You mm-hmm. know, don't realize the function of the foreskin is a pretty important function. I mean, protection of the glands, uh, mm-hmm. of the glands, which also facilitates better penetration or easier penetration. Um, it also sustains a gliding motion within the, the, the vaginal canal during intercourse, which reduces friction, which has also been shown in research to reduce female sexual pain. So there's a, mm-hmm. an aspect of uh, both pleasurable and also reduced pain uh, uh, components. Uh, and mm-hmm. we also find, too, that for the male, for the, for the penis owner, that the foreskin, you know, when we've done more and more research, we find that there are tens of thousands of nerve endings in the foreskin. And from a sexual pleasure perspective, wonder of endings typically means more sensation, which often means it feels better. Now, is that not also one of the most highly innervated areas of a man's body, similar to the clitoral glands of a woman? Very true. I mean, what we, what we find with that, especially when we, we look at the uh, comparisons of, of, of different gendered um, um, uh, body. Embryologically? Mm-hmm. We find that the female clitoris is homologous to the male penis, and the female mm-hmm. clitoral hood is homologous to the male foreskin, which homologous means the same structure or similar structure. So mm-hmm. we're finding that, you know, essentially the, the clitoris is a, like a smaller penis, or you could say that the, the penis is a larger clitoris, but they both are hosting nerve endings, and they're both, they both have a very uh, powerful and important function from a pleasure and sensation perspective. Now, when mm-hmm. you circumcise, you remove 
something called mycin core muscle nerve and there's other nerve endings as well too, but those are some of the most sensitive nerve endings we have. It's the highest concentration of those nerve endings in our body. Um, and when those are removed, they're no longer a part of our penis when we're having sexual uh, interaction, and therefore there's reduced pleasure, reduced sensation. Right, and also why for many men, the circumcision scar site is one of the most... Um, sensitive because that's the only remaining, and you call them mycene corpuscles? Yeah, uh, the mycene corpuscles, yes. Mm-hmm. And so that area that you were talking about, the frenulum, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's miscategorized as the most sensitive area of a circumcised penis, but what you said is, is very accurate. It's actually the leftover area of the, the, the foreskin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, just below, yeah, the, those parts that they find, they, that they actually left intact. Right. But what, I mean, because what I'd like people to know is, cause, and the reason I ask this is when I was traveling across Canada, the Globe and Mail, the main, uh, one of the main papers, had an article because there's a group of Canadian pediatricians who are getting together to, whether it's, you know, mission statement or statement on use, on whether or not circumcision should be done. And from a cultural standpoint, I'm not going to be able to weigh in on that one. But from a functional standpoint and from a medical standpoint, my understanding is there is not a study that shows that doing it gives you, from a statistically significant standpoint, better health benefits or disease prevention. And to me, the one statement that was in this article, a 2013 pediatrics paper summed it up this way. The cardinal medical question should not be whether circumcision can prevent disease, but how disease can best be prevented. And we know the ways it can be prevented. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I wanted to, because to me, many men, I think, families, and it's like, let's do this so you can look like dad. Right, right. Um, it's unfortunate because there's been so many studies that have, you know, created an effect that said that, that circumcision was beneficial for prevention of some type of disease. And so relational effect, you know, we can't always attribute it to, let's say, the removal of foreskin. You know, a great example would be uh, penile cancer. Penile mm-hmm. cancer was associated with, with circumcision for, for decades until they started looking at um, different factors like uh, HPV. You know, if right. acquired HPV, there's a much higher likelihood that they'll develop penile cancer or hygiene uh, during, if they... they uh, right have better hygiene regimens and cleanliness that's also associated with uh, uh, a lower case of lower reduction in penile cancer rates. So we also look at cross-cultural as well, too, and we see that there are similar rates of penile cancer in Finland and Denmark compared to the U.S., uh, men that are circumcised here. Uh, so we have to ask ourselves, why is it that our rates are very similar to their rates? Why is it that they have an intact, you know, uncircumcised, essentially, country and culture, yet their rates are the same or even lower? And what 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 came back with a response on it? Uh, it was interesting, especially with the, uh, the the study that was in Denmark. They did a longitudinal study, and they found that in the 1950s they had higher rates of penile cancer. But then in the 1950s is when they implemented uh, a better uh, sort of irrigation system, so people can now have water inside of their homes, and so they were able to wash and uh, uh, and have better hygiene and bathing habits within their, the privacy of their own home rather than outside of the house in more public mm-hmm. settings. And they found that over time that the penile cancer rates also diminished. Uh, but they also found, too, that with the reduction of smoking, so smoking was highly associated with penile cancer, that right. they also reduced the rate. And now we find that they have lower rates than American men um, who are circumcised. So that, 
happening cross-culturally, yet we're not looking at it and taking it into consideration here. Well, and we know that for people who have um, poor hygiene, who are do not have access to good health care, they are much more highly represented in the areas of able to be clean and healthy and have a healthy immune system, your whole system's going to operate better. Exactly. So, you know, it's interesting you bring up the immune system because they've done UTI research as well that they've found that uh, uh, infants who are circumcised have lower rates of UTIs. And so they thought, okay, remove foreskin, that's better for, for health because it's less infections. And what they actually found was that it was associated with premature birth was more of a significant factor. And it was because of those premature babies having a weaker immune system, they were more likely to acquire a, uh, a UTI. And, and so even the American Medical Association estimates that we'd have to do approximately 100 to 200 circumcisions to prevent one UTI in a child, in an infant, or right. that one child can use antibiotics. Correct, and the antibiotics would, you know. And here's what, you know, you and I, we are lucky to be able to see the, you know, from the bottom of the pond up to the top of the pond and see, right. because sometimes people haven't been looking in the right direction when sexual function or sexual pleasure, and I think you know that, uh, we have completed the Joycelyn Elders Chair in Sexual Health Education, mm-hmm. and yep. the, fund- the funding has been in, and literally the money is now there that they are now looking for a scholar for that seat, for that chair. And really what Dr. Elders wanted to do as, as the former Surgeon General, as the person who saw all of, as a pediatrician, her thing is, create this chair so that the sexual health education interrupts the poverty cycle. Because when babies are having babies, you are basically locked into a life of poverty. And I just, I'm so strongly in favor of people getting information that then allows them to make their choices. Now, we have about two minutes until our final break. My guest is Dr. Hernando Chavez. So, Hernando, tell me. What are the favorite websites that your clients and your students look at, and why? <laughs> um, I'll start off with my students. Um, I find that because, you know, there is a, a gap between, you know, kids who are 12, 15, 18 versus, let's say, adults who are in their 40s or 50s, and they're going to want different things. So what I've noticed is that younger, uh, uh, young adults and, and teenagers are looking for something with a lot more of like a sort of a, a quick snapshot. That they're not looking for... 20-minute YouTube videos are looking for three to four minutes sort of catch-you-all media. So I find that Scarleting is an excellent website for accurate information. Um, Mm -hmm. Go Ask Alice. Okay, Go Ask Alice, yeah. What what was the first one you mentioned? Scarleting.com. Oh, Scarleting, of course. And then Go Ask Alice. Those are great for Q&A. I find that because YouTube is now our most popular social media site, we also have to look at the, the YouTube and the video aspect, too, as well. Uh, two of my favorites are there's a woman named Lacey Green, who's an educator mm-hmm. up in San Francisco that a lot of my uh, students love watching because she's young and energetic, and a lot of her research, her, her presentations are quick and short. Um, also, too, there's Sexplanations on YouTube uh, by mm-hmm. a, a Dr. Lindsay Doe, who does about four to five minute um, videos, very, very well edited, fun, engaging on different sexuality topics for, ranging from consent to herpes and STIs to 
um, circumcision as well, as we discussed. Mm-hmm. I find that those are, are great because people are looking for short kind of supports. Of, it's kind of, of kind of like, give me, yeah, give me the information before I have to use it. We're coming up to our final break, and when we come back, we will be covering the favorite websites for clients and for the older demographic. Please stay with us. My guest is Dr. Hernando Chavez. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Goals, objectives, business and action plans. How important are they for me to manage? Whether you're an executive, entrepreneur, or maybe you're just someone looking to advance your career and want to be confidently prepared for your future, business and life coach Carmen Carosa can help you remove obstacles and move forward in the right direction. Carmen is known as the real-world coach for a reason. His no-nonsense style along with an innate ability to form connections with people gives you a unique opportunity to see higher and further than ever before. We live and work in an ever-changing, complicated world that can leave us with questions about every decision we make. Join host Carmen Carosa, business and life coach, on Forward Motion. Every Monday at 2 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Eastern, you will realize dreams and aspirations you thought were out of reach. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. And as I had said before the break, Dr. Hernando Chavez and I are going to talk about, we talked about the things that the 12, 16, 18-year-olds, they're looking for the four, three-minute videos with information that, you know, they can download. And, but is there a difference? Again, there would be because they are looking for a combination of things, correct? Yes. And what I noticed is that for a lot of older, you know, let's say individuals, they oftentimes are looking specifically to remedy something that they would like to work on rather than like a encompass sex education on a very comprehensive level. Uh, for example, if there's a sexual concern or if there's a, something that's, that's changing within their bodies, uh, I find that a lot of men and women, especially with premenopausal you know, uh, uh, onset, women will want to understand more about what's happening to their bodies and why there's an increase in sexual pain that they're experiencing. Or for men, um, why is it that I'm feeling less libido and then they start learning a bit more about their testosterone depletion over time? Or why is my erection um, you know, not as strong or powerful uh, as it once was when I was 18? And so I find that there's a lot more specific targeted information that they're seeking out for their own uh, sex lives. Mm-hmm. And there's fantastic books that are coming out now. I find that uh, the older adults uh, uh, are more interested in reading books and taking more time than the younger. Um, so mm-hmm. books like Joan Price's uh, book, 
uh, which is a very honest look at the reality of what happens and also incorporates things like pleasure and sex toys and BDSM and things that, you know, a lot of us maybe weren't exposed to 20 years ago. Right, and also the impact of the health things, the, you know, when your partner isn't there or your partner has something going on. Also, great book is The um, Ultimate Guide to uh, to Prostate Pleasure. Um, Aislinn Amirzian and uh, Charlie uh, wrote that is so fabulous. And finally, I mean, we've been talking about G-Spot for women for ages, and it is about time that we had something that addressed that for men. And I, I agree with you. There's the ways of information going in. It's easier for men of that demographic to get um, a book, or they'll they'll go and see who you know who is this person and listen to to what they're doing. I right. find for some people, Mark Schoen's site of Sex Smart Films is a great range of people being able to look at things and then give themselves a little bit of education or a lot of education because he's hundreds of films on there and then continue going online. But what you and I probably both say to everybody, you have to know who you're getting your information from. Right. Because there's times that people just want to let you know that they know this information and that's nice. It works for them, but not for you necessarily. And, and, you know, you brought up something very important, which is uh, Mark Schoen and, and his his website, and also the work that he's done uh, even before his website, Sex Smart Films. You know, he was one of those those pioneers who uh, essentially was putting uh, both uh, Sinclair and Better Sex, you know, sex Education videos to have more, for people to watch and learn from a more modeling behavior, you know, perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He was doing that in the 80s and 90s, and, and I do find that, you know, that did open the door to Tristan Termino and to Nina Harley and to Zach. Has, you know, he's a Ph.D. and he's been doing, he's been an, a sex educator for 30-plus years now. And his way of looking at it is, I want you, and he will often work with real couples to make mm-hmm. sure that this is something that is really organic. And when right. we had the other films that... Um, Dr. You know Bill Staten and others put together. They were like the first, you know, relatable therapeutic films on straight couples, lesbian couples, gay couples. You know, yeah. and they were actual couples. That so you did see, and you see people who a woman who has had children who doesn't have a teeny tiny taut little body, but she has a real woman's body. She has a mom's body. And right. this, I so highly recommend those. Now, I, I want to make one comment about one group that I, we've seen the impact of Fifty Shades of Grey across a whole range of things. Tell me how you answer the question when someone says they're into kink and but you don't know whether or not it's because they think they're supposed to say they're into kink, but they don't really know. They feel there might be pressure to say that they're into something that they're not really aware of, but to go along with the group, they say that they're part of it. How, how do you respond to that? Well, when someone asks me I'm in, or, or makes a statement and says, I'm into kink, right off the bat, I want to know, what is kink to you? 
Um, mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll revert that question back to them because, to me, being kinky is like being sexual. It's a huge umbrella term for a lot of possibilities. Uh, and I'd like for them to get a little more specific. And, you know, is it are they kinky because they that's what they've fantasized about and that's what they feel inside that, that, that has been a part of their identity that's been uh, suppressed and they want to unleash and, and, and express? Or is it about, you know, for example, like Fifty Shades phenomena, you know, are people trying to be more kinky because kinky is what is, you know, being promoted as kind of a new, um, I guess, evolution in sexuality? And, and I ask them the same questions. Exactly what, what is it that you find in your, you know, interest area is kinky? I mean, if, if kinky is about edge play. If it's about, you know, psychological edge play and, and putting yourself in places where you feel, you know, you're taking risks and you feel, you know, exposed and vulnerable or, or uh, from a psychological perspective it has a sense of arousal. I mean, kinky can be anything. Kinky can be to a sex educator not using a condom. You know, that mm-hmm. could be something that produces that type of arousal. Well, for other people, that might not be kinky at all. Uh, kinky mm-hmm. can be, you know... Um, maybe falling in love and having intimate, passionate sex, you know, for them, because that's, you know, kinky can also be about stepping outside of your, your typical box and pushing your boundaries to where you feel like you're exposed or you feel like you're in a space where, um, you know, it, it's, it's both arousing and even fearful. Right. And you and I both know that what, someone's is, what is someone's kink is someone else's vanilla. Right, right. So now, and just to go back, the video film series that I was referring to, that it's um, Bill Staten and Joy and, da, 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 oh, uh, Herb Samuels, Joy Davidson, and Dr. William Staten, and it's called the Sex Therapy Video Series. And it's, it's got the three different versions of it. It is, in my mind, terrific. Now, what... Do you, when you, how do you feel, let me ask you this question, do you feel that because of celebs who have been coming out um, and are more comfortable identifying as being gay or lesbian, that it has helped some of your clients? Definitely. Uh, I think that, you know, you could look at it from both sides of the, of the perspective. You know, sometimes people coming out maybe has, has hindered or, or had a, maybe a, a less of a positive effect, but you also can look at it from having a, a positive and empowering effect, you know, especially when it comes to the, the radical and progressive sort of shift in attitudes that we're having um, about with, with gay and lesbian perspectives and identity and orientation. Uh, a lot of people are coming out. I also find that um, younger people are coming out sooner. I've actually had a couple mm-hmm. students this semester who asked me and said, you know, for one of my papers, I wanted to come out to my, my mom. And I want I want to come out to my friends and can I write about that? And I said, of course, but let's talk about the coming out process first. I want to make sure you're not doing this, you know, kind of impulsively without kind of a little bit of structure, just kind of throwing a little bit of information about it. But you know, 15 years ago, that was pretty radical for somebody to consider coming out at 18 and 19. Yes, it was like you, they would have known, but they never would have said. Right, and, and they you know, would have also. The younger generations are much more open with the gender uh, fluidity, with being mm-hmm. bigender, agender, uh, transgender, with, uh, you know, we used to call it androgyny, so many terms to describe kind of just having a fluid gender identity. Mm-hmm. And tell, okay, explain for people what you mean by 
identity attraction because one is what your head's doing, the other is what your heart and you know your body is reacting to. Can you explain to people what that right. what you would mean by that? Sure, sure. Um, you know, when we talk about gender identity, if we look at gender in terms of you know, typically in most cultures, masculinity and femininity is expressed in some manner. Uh, gender identity typically is how you fit on that spectrum, that continuum of, of what gender is within that culture. And gender identity is subjective. It's how you perceive and feel within yourself about how you would like to present the mindset, the way you act, the mannerisms, your dress. Um, it, it, it all has to do with your expression of gender. Uh, it has nothing to do with your orientation. Your orientation mm-hmm. is who or what you're sexually attracted to, and that can also entail... Uh, when people want to get a hold of you, they can do so on your website, which they just have to type in Dr. Hernando Chavez, and I'll sort of all squish it together, and then it will come up as therapist.psychologytoday.com, and there you are, nice smiling little face. I will also <laughs> put it on... I will also put it on um, um, my site here for TogiNet, and I've done uh, a little social media on it. And you also are willing to do a free phone consult for people to make sure you're the right fit for them. I I, I prefer that. I think that there's wonderful clinicians in L.A. and also around America and the world. There's somebody who specializes or is better fit for you. Ethically, it's my job to get you to the best person. Hallelujah. Thank you. I think I think we have too many people who make this sort of assumption. Oh, I you know got to take care of the you know the office rent this month, and the real thing that people need, particularly in the area of sexuality, is someone who is being that you know their egos out of the way and they are being that heart and that mind for people. Now we have like one minute until the end of the show. One thing I would like to add in for people. We've talked about kink here. Please avoid kink.com. Tell them why, Hernando. Well, I think that people should be very careful with a couple of things. Um, number one, you know, we should be learning about stuff that's sexually uh, uh, outside of our boxes or new to us. Things like mentorship and education and books and attending workshops. And so a lot of people are learning things from, let's say, the Internet. And kink.com is a very extreme website that has a lot of, you know, very extreme uh, uh, sexual situations, and, and you know, for a lot of people, they may pick up either bad habits or think they can emulate that, which can really be... Uh, that's, and, and, it's not, and, and, it's, and it's not a good thing. So that's my final comment. Hernando, thank you for being my guest today, and um, hopefully we have been powerful in educating people, and I will send people in your direction, and thank you again. Thank you so much, Lou. I appreciate it. Thank you again for all that you do for our field. Oh, thanks. Take care, and I'll see you on Wednesday. And learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health.